0: Hello and welcome to the Lean Into Artcast. This is a show where a couple of visual storytellers, uh, you know, we get together and talk about topics that uh, range all over the place in the the realm of just making things and especially stuff like comics and interactive storytelling and that kind of stuff. My name is Rob Stenzinger. I am a user experience designer and I make other stuff too. And with me is co-host... Jersey Drozd, cartoonist and teaching artist.
1: Whoa, that felt weird doing it the other way around this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sending, fun.
0: We've, yeah. I've only done that like a couple dozen times maybe.
1: Yeah. It's not frequent.
0: No, no, it's not a frequent thing and
1: it's something that makes me think that we should do it more often. Um, but it's also a, a way to to send a signal to the leaners that that yes indeed we are about to listen to a rebroadcasted episode, an episode, mm. a discussion we had years ago from the archives, because as it happens, there's over 300-something episodes. I doubt very many people go back and dig around to see what's back there, but we do, and we find some interesting stuff, mm. some interesting conversations that we've had in the past, and think about we bring them back up into the feed, uh, especially topics that are um, especially meaningful and um, resonant with us which in this case, it's. I know this is one that, that rings a bell in my heart, right? We're going to talk about mini-comics, uh, particularly, particularly um, mini-comics pre-flight checklist, episode 246 from September 7th, 2018. What do we talk about in this
0: one? Well, it's, it's, uh, we're trying to set, our, set ourselves and share a way for you to set yourself up for success with embarking on the endeavor of making a mini comic which is often called a zine or what have you there's uh, a variety of formats and different ways to to tackle a mini comic project but the idea is you take something that could be really big and you know, set yourself up with a, a lot um, a lot more uh, attainable in a shorter time frame less complex kind of way to to make a, a book
1: yeah, and looking at it from a practical standpoint of what assets do we assemble when we make mini-comics. And then also in the second half of the show, we spend a lot of time talking about how do we know that this is the thing to make a mini-comic out of, right? What signals do we look for in the material to say, yes, maybe it's not fully baked, but it's ready for me to run a test with this. So I think it's a good conversation. Um, I think that it, you know people who are new to the show, this will be a way to introduce you to something from our archives as well so another thing we do every episode is we thank some people who make the show possible those people are the folks who support us on patreon patreon.com slash lean into art is the website what is it it's a way for you to give us a monthly upvote if you believe in me and rob and you believe in the work that we do you can support us for as little as a dollar a month and you can cancel anytime so you do a one month donation check out all the behind the scenes stuff and then you know come back another time Uh, Or you could do it on an ongoing basis like these five people who we want to thank right now. Stephen Stonebush. Thank you, Stephen, for supporting us and believing in what we do. And Chris Watkins. Thank you, Chris. It means a lot to us. And Rachel Ross. Oh, Rachel, longtime supporter of the show. You can find Rachel on Twitter at NYC Terrace, T-E-R-I-S. And Spencer Hallam. Thank you, Spencer. It means a lot to us. And finally, Catherine Sugru. You can find on Twitter at Kat Sugru, S-O-O-G-R-O-O. You can join them all at patreon.com slash art, where you will find all the shows we make as well as the extra leans. The shows we record only for people who support us on Patreon. Those posts become an open mic thread where you can talk about whatever you want with fellow leaners in a safe space. And it also gets you access to the Lean Into Art Discord. There's three private channels that are only for people who support us on Patreon. So once again patreon.com slash lean into art it means a lot to us that you support us there and help make the show more sustainable
0: it really does thank you so much okay
1: are you ready to do it you want to do it i'm
0: ready yeah let's go there
1: Hey, thanks for downloading, listening to, and watching the Lean Into Artcast, a show where a couple of visual storytellers get together, take on topics that come up naturally when you start. I mean, does, when you take on this endeavor of communicating visually, we think hard about this stuff, so you will too. My name is Jersey Drozd, cartoonist and teaching artist. The other host is...
0: Hi, I'm Rob Stenzinger, uh, user experience and game designer.
1: Hey, Rob. You know. Good to see you again. Hey, Jersey. User Good experience. You. Just, you know... I I'm going to try to be more uh, fastidious or uh, conscientious about this. Uh, every once in a while, somebody is new to the show, and they hear the term user experience designer. What does that mean in a nutshell?
0: Let's see. So a user experience designer uh, takes into account that sort of the, like, how are people affected by the things that we make And how might we make them in a way that we bring about desired outcomes, both for ourselves, the makers, and then the, you know, those that are, um, you know, using, engaging, consuming. Uh, And, and that it can be, let's see, uh, like all areas of design, you're using constraints and context and making choices to try to find a, a good fit between available materials and, and, and um, what you're putting into the world and, and how it gets used and stuff. And the user experience aspect of it um, has a lot of different potential focuses um, because some UX folks are are thinking about, uh, okay, all these goals, did some research and have informed a design, and now I, I present like a blueprint or sort of wireframes or like a flow, um, you know, sort of planning things out you know, more strategically or what have you Uh, all the way down to some UX folks um, build screens and whatnot. Some have nothing to do with UI and you're, they're thinking more about um, like a business as a whole. And um, are you, well, what's the experience of your business and UX being omnidirectional, both the people that are within your business and those that are, you know, served by it. Um, So yeah, it's a lot of ways where you can, Uh, channel research and insight into ideas that can be tested when you put them in into the world
1: you make things for people and you test the things that you make for the people Um, and that's kind of like directly ties into our topic not user experience per se but some of the principles that you use in that are Mm. what we use in this business of making these little things called mini comics um, which we talk about a lot in the show why because I love them i love them to death and i think that they are a fabulous way to get your feet wet making something they're a fabulous way to prove to yourself that you can ship something because you know when you do like an eight page mini comic uh like this you can do it in a week you know with spare time and that is a short enough period of time that you know it's not a huge wait, commitment what?
0: but a week wait you're showing pickles and taft and going like yeah it's you know this pickles- is a week
1: no, Pickles and Taft was, um, hard. like it, it was, I want to say six weeks of just doing it in spare time. So it was like, okay, hard. but, but,
0: bo- okay, but this, so one, this was, if you put more time,
1: this was literally a week. I did this one, Bold, the very first Boulder and Fleet story I did in one week, uh, just to nice. see if I could do it. Um, back in like the nineties when I was first, first starting out, I did a mini comic series called the black hole equation. And there is, I think, the second issue that I did, which was eight pages. I did it in an afternoon. I mean, I did, I drew the whole eight-page story. You know, I don't remember how many hours it was, but it was done in a day. So, mm. also and,
0: uh, yeah. Chud with a dream. We got to bring Chud that with, up again. It's been Chud a with the dream, it's been a dream, uh,
1: which you know, I can, I can find it real quick. Well, uh, that yeah. one is um, that one. I think I did it in an hour, hour and a half. I think hour and a half. <laughs>
0: Okay, so the, these are a lot of um, tight timeframes that, um, different extremes, but um, I mean, an it, hour is pretty pretty approachable, or a day.
1: Before, before anybody gets excited, let me let me pull up the chud with the dream, <laughs> because if you're watching on video, it ain't super fancy, right? This is d- drawn very sketchy. This is like, I would almost call this a thumbnail, right? and i think oh sure oh there are multiple panels on some pages but there's a
0: lot of full page spreads Three panels mm -hmm. you're the worst ever (laughs) you can't fire me it's probably more like you can't fire me i quit then you don't get unemployment gah gah
1: but see his parents are trying to convince him to go home you're just a chud after all and then maybe the answer is the library uses the free internet to find Craigslist listening for a job opening for a monster, and he becomes a movie monster at the end. Um, (laughs) But that leads to the other part of this is that we talked about experimentation. And another reason I love them so much is that it is a way to test drive ideas in a very safe way. It's not a huge investment. That Chud with a Dream, if I decided that, wow, that was really good. I didn't decide that, but if I decided that was really good. Uh, I could do a more refined version of it later on or expand upon it, which is what happened with Boulder and Fleet. That was like a test drive, test drive idea that I put out into the world, got feedback on it, and revised and revamped and, and, and built upon the ideas that were in this one-week-long experiment. Now, mm-hmm. last week, we did an episode called Setting Projects Up for Whittling, where we talked about how to... Uh, frame our projects and sort of um, set up workflows for our projects so that we can check in with little tiny bits here and there um, in order to slowly accumulate some effort and uh, hopefully eventually have something that you can ship. Uh, In in the the discussion, I sort of floated around this idea of like, oh, I might do something for October this year where I just like try to quickly write uh, an eight page thumbnail and then Divide that up over the course of the 30 days of October. So maybe it's 30 panels spread over eight pages. So I'm making a panel a day um, in order to set that project up for whittling, which led mm-hmm. me to thinking about, well, now i got to write a mini-comic. And that got me thinking, well, what are the things I think about? Well, how do I know when uh, an experiment is ready to go from hypothesis stage to testing stage? So Then it can become a theory, right?
0: yeah so so uh, okay and and then i mean hence inspiration for this episode right and, and, and
1: so with that i mean are we ready just to like dive into uh talking about it when we hit the music sure let's go on the ground let's go on the ground wait i hit the wrong music i want this music <laughs> and now i can never change that. I'm, i mean if i do it'll have to be like the different dragon ball series um but it's always gonna okay. have to be dragon ball that takes us into the first half of the show now
0: it's honestly it's tough to beat the first dragon ball theme yeah i mean, it's
1: yeah I, I i i gotta go back and revisit dragon ball z i, I don't remember that theme at all
0: it's uh I, I like it it's you know it's solid it fits the it fits the series but it's more um it's 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 crunchy uh crunchy guitar you know more than like funk time let's get up and move you know it's not the same it's it's more like uh, Yeah you might sit there and nod your head right because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's yeah different tone more serious
1: all right well let's dive in and talk about like uh, on the ground what does it look like to get ready to make a mini comic and i thought very very quickly we could talk about like assembling your resources um both physical mm-hmm. resources and um Oh, what do you call it in video game design—the little sprites and artifacts that appear in the game. Assets. 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 Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so first up is, and this. This reminds me of another episode we did not too long ago, episode two twelve. Writing with sticky notes. Get your sticky notes. These these are an essential part of my writing process nowadays, and um, it, <laughs> that hasn't always been, but um, but it, it's a. Thing this small on the size of like a post-it note or sticky note, you don't have Mm -hmm. time or the space to really work on fancy rendering and show off your drawing skills. You are just thinking about, you know, getting the visual beats of your story worked out. You don't have room for dialogue, right? So it's like this is a great way to just focus on what what is the essential squint test version of the page. Um,
0: And are you always working at a full page when you're doing a post-it? Do you sometimes zoom in? Sometimes I do, yes.
1: Yes, sometimes <laughs> I, I, if I, a moment really stands out. Comics panels come in two varieties for me when I'm thumbnailing. There is a very hazy looking through a fog version where it's like, I think it'd be a pose kind of like this, but I'm not sure. And then there's moments that are absolutely crystallized where I see it in my head. I see the pose. I even have the turn of phrase like instantly that comes to mind. And maybe I don't have the before or after, but I have that moment that, that hangs in my head and I know just how I would draw it. And so that I'll, you know, I'll sketch it out like pretty, like a fairly little bit more detail. Uh, and I'll give it its own sticky note sometimes, but I would say 90% of the time I'm working at the, the full page on a sticky note. Mm-hmm. Um, the next resource is something that I'm going to share in the show notes for everybody to use if They want now, um, let me get my, um, Whenever I move from sticky note to second round, second draft of thumbnails, so okay, so here's here's actually uh, the new comic I'm working on right now with Dan Michigan. Secret. This is this is a a scoop, an exclusive. So there's there's the sticky
0: note version of a page, right? Mm-hmm. can't even see dialogue. See. So it's yeah. You you have um. It's a little bit of balloon spotting along with uh like what framing but like at the at the really abstract level of of detail right mm-hmm. um, yeah sketchy um it's it's not stick figures there's like a lot of shape there um can tell it's there's there's it's so funny it's like how it's um it's it, it's like your style but the ultra minimalist version
1: ultra minimalist they don't even draw the faces and then from there i go to my second draft and this is what becomes my proper script that I work from and it is as you can see uh, a letter size sheet of paper just turned sideways and I actually print it you can probably if you look closely there is a blue line frame of the aspect ratio of the page that I'll be working on shrunk down to this size and Mm. I do my second round of sketches on that now that said I actually have a pdf that I'm going to link to in the show notes of that this is the mini comic aspect ratio so this is the same aspect ratio as my boulder and fleet mini comics pickles and taft you're the mini comic that is roughly one quarter the size of a letter size sheet of paper and you can print this out double-sided on your inkjet printer um and then you will have a non-photo blue live area to work within it's just it's just a nice handy way to like speed up the process of working on your script
0: well, I mean, you, it sets you up to be directionally accurate. Having that a uh, uh, incorrect aspect ratio could be uh, quite a pain to deal with later. It's like you're you're almost injecting a bug or problem in your uh, in your layout and your process by by not trying to consider the aspect ratio. So why not just bring it in?
1: And I mean, th- th- Robert Clemens Junior. is in the chat and is being cheeky and saying. Mini comic script? What mini comic script? Yes, that is part of the fun of mini comics too. Is that you can just completely improvise them. But in the case of this this thinking exercise, what I try to do is, and just as Rob was describing with the PDF template, uh, I try to set myself up for success as much as possible, so that I can just I can focus on as few difficult decision making processes as possible. If I set up the page at the wrong aspect ratio and then import it into Clip Studio Paint or print it out and on photo blue and start inking it up. Um, I don't want to have to adjust the art too much right? i want those thumbnails when i do them at that stage to be as ready to go as possible um this is all about like making this process super expedient and then it comes to like what, what drawing supplies are you going to use like i just said are you going to use like clip studio paint are you going to use like a, you know your phone are you going to just print it out on print out the thumbnails on bristol board and or use a light box uh pencils and pens clipboard for me Whatever way I do it, I try to keep it as mobile as possible because this is something I do on the side, so I want to give myself as many opportunities to do it in as many places as possible. What does that mean? That means like when I were to take these if I were to take these uh Amazon Academy pages I was showing a minute ago and I were to put these on bristol let's say I was going to ink these on the boards, um, what I might do is print out, like scan and print out these thumbnails in non-photo blue at like 20% or 15%. And then, but I'd print them out at 8.5 by 11, not 10 by 15 like I used to do in the old days. I'd something that can fit in my shoulder bag um, so that I can refine the pencils if I'm sitting and waiting in the car for something or if I'm at the grocery store or if I'm in any place that I'm, where I have a few minutes to, to, to whittle to hearken to last <laughs> week's episode, right? So...
0: how much how ready are you with like the message of your story at this like at this point like when you before you jump into your sticky notes is there some i guess how much do you know about what you want to say or are you like um like was pointed out in the chat doing a little bit of improv at that point because Uh, you mentioned in your process that you outline maybe later or is that what you're carrying with you in before the oh yeah um,
1: that that's so that all happens before i start with sticky notes and and i got that set up for the second half of the show i actually have the full process of how i made the pickles and taft mini comic and i actually have like my first draft script second draft outline and then to the thumbnails um Mm. which i'll i'll show you how that all looks in my sketchbook but i was reminded uh, last week we were talking about how sometimes whittling can be uh, project, product development in your sketchbook, right? Um, oh, and so absolutely, a little, yeah. Because, a lot of this, like, for
0: instance, where would your, where would the even the basic character designs come from? Right.
1: Um, and actually, well, no, let me, I can pull those up right now. Let me, um, you know, where do the character designs come from? Let me pull up from my sketchbook and I will share this with everybody. So here is, and let me just real quick. First, I'll show everybody. This is Pickles and Taft Adventures for Hire. If you haven't read it, you can download it for free on Gumroad find it right on my oh, website at a price of your choosing at a price of your choosing com is where you can find it on the sidebar. Um, or three bucks spend- sounds
0: pretty fit, fair. Five bucks even.
1: It is quality work. Uh, mm-hmm. and what's it about? It's about a pig and her battle tortoise and they are adventures for hire, just like Boulder and fleet. And they get in, they get involved with what they think is going to be this epic adventure. And it turns out to be not, you know, not all adventures are super epic. Um, although there is like some pretty cool action sequencing happening here, uh, and Pickles is really upbeat and cheerful, and Taft is like a little bit more down to earth, realistic, maybe even a little glum. Um, not dissimilar from you know two pizza team, but that's a dynamic that I really enjoy. I really like really optimistic and really grounded characters interacting, and I in my experience, those kinds of personalities tend to gravitate towards one another. Um, but let's look at the let's look at the script. So. What I start with is I just come up with a basic premise, right? So, like, uh, Pickles and Taft want to go to this, this, this Oktoberfest kind of thing uh, because Pickles really loves to dance, but they don't have any money because that's always a good motivator. It's like, well, we got to get money, so we got to go on an adventure now. Um, and in the, so I just start writing out sentences and drawing little tiny moments from the story in my sketchbook, right? They get to the, they get to the gate, and the guy at the gate's like, oh, you got to, you know, three gold coins ahead. Uh, she's like ah nuts I only got six wooden coins you know and she's trying to convince Taft to go on this adventure with her and she's like wafting the smell of pierogi from the the October festival and he's like oh man I really gotta go now Um, (laughs) and so I'm sort of like just doing like the children's book version of the story where I'm highlighting some key moments of the story and actually in the original draft look at they come across this rat wizard this little old lady rat and then Mm. uh Ann pointed out, she's like, well, that's just Splinter from the Ninja Turtles. Like, oh, man. <laughs> so, and then they, you know, I sketch out, they, they climb the mountain, there's this evil wizard chicken at the top of the mountain throwing lightning bolts at them. Uh, some cool action moments where Pickles and Taft help each other. And then in the end, let's see. Oh, they, they get to, uh, yeah, what? oh, oh, so it was that the evil wizard stole the lady wizard's house wizard is a rat it's not a chicken after all but then after you know i thinking about it a little bit more i started doing a little bit of sketching of like well what would a chicken wizard look like like what if i did like the sorceress was from he-man but as an old lady chicken um and what would an evil chicken wizard look like and so i start doodling a little bit in the sketchbook um and there there's the final design right so my character designs are not like when I'm doing mini comics, I'm not refining them and doing like a full turnaround. Like that was what I had to go with for the evil wizard in this story was just that final sketch. And once I've got like a look, like, okay, chicken wizards kind of makes sense to me. And I think I've got a decent arc here with some character moments. I know not all of these are going to make it in, but I've got the, the through line of the story. Then I sit down and I do, here is the final outline, page one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. And I try to figure out what's one key action that happens on each page, because a mini-comics page doesn't offer you a ton of real estate, and, you know, you can comfortably fit about four panels on there, um, especially if you want to do like a lot of action stuff. And so, you know, page one, intro of Duo, walking in the mountains on their way to Oktoberfest. Pickles needs to dance. And we look at page one of the comic. That's literally what happens there. They're walking in the mountains, and Pickles is like, I want to go, because I want to dance. Mm. Um, page 2 they come across old chicken lady she has unfinished business with a dark sorcerer at the top of Sutherland Peak are you willing to aid me in an epic battle we're adventurers not battlers Uh, they climb the mountain Pickles is excited about having her first epic battle lightning strikes they fall they fall Pickles saves them dark sorcerer dark sorcerer ominously what does that say warns from top of mountain. stay away more lightning page 5 Pickles dances around the lightning this is where we get to get more of her dancing Chicken Lady uses her magic to, to deflect bolts to help Taft. And page six, they charge up the mountain. Chicken Lady stand says, stand back. Epic stare down, uh, a.k.a. or a la Wild West Dragon Ball Z. Pickles is stoked. Page seven, You'll, you never call me, the Chicken Lady says. You never tell me what's going on in your life. Oh, mom, I'm a grown chicken. So it turns out that instead of it being an epic battle, it's just a mother and son squabble. And Pickles and Taft are uncomfortable because they're watching a family argument. And uh, I don't want to, what is this? I didn't sign on for this epic battle, and they leave, right? So there's page seven and eight. So um, that is what I have when I set out to begin the thumbnailing process, is sort of a page-by-page, one-sentence breakdown after just doing some initial sketches. And I do not spend an enormous amount of time in those sketches, especially for a mini-comic, because um, I, I want there to be some level of discovery in the making of the book. I don't want to have it like so planned out, but but planned out enough so that what I'm really doing when I'm making the mini-comic is um, discovering things about the characters to help them get to the end of that story. right? So some of those things, even in that eight-page outline that I d- described there, didn't happen in the final script. Like the part where the chicken uses her magic to deflect the bolts to help Taft, uh, I remember coming up to that page going like, well, why would she help them if she hired them? Right. And so that that becomes a line in the story is like Taft says, like, hey, sorcerer lady, how come you're not helping us? And she's like, I distinctly remember hiring you to take me to the mountaintop, you know. So. So setting it all up, knowing that not everything will make it in like there's that that sketch that I did early on of pickles, like wafting the smell of Oktoberfest to Taft to tempt him into wanting to go. There's no room had to go.
0: That's um I would imagine. So pickles and Taft. Is is there a classification of any comic project that is uh, different? And like how would you describe that difference between like Chud with a dream versus pickles and Taft?
1: Uh pickles they seem like two yeah. di-
0: they have different natures.
1: Yeah. Uh Chud with a dream is pure experimentation. Um The closest thing I have to a a thing that I shipped that was all pure experimentation was a mini comic I did called Fish Don't Have Teeth, which was uh, it started out with the simple premise of what did Fleet do for a living before she met Boulder? And I thought, well, maybe she was a a manager for a tag team of wrestling fishes, which I had the sketches of the fish warrior guys in my sketchbook, but I didn't know anything about them. And I didn't know anything about what that story was going to be because I did the mini comic for mini comic day where you draw an eight page mini comic in eight hours. And you're supposed to come walk in fresh, so you don't know what you're going to do until you sit down and do it. Um, mm. And that's that's like same with, same with Chubb with a Dream. It's very low risk. It's okay if I don't finish this. I have an eight page mini comic th- uh, that was called um, what's it called, Corporal R J Rocket Punch, <laughs> and it it I never finished it. I started it for Mini Comic Day like five years ago, and when I got to the f- pencil stage, I finished the pencils like I, I'm really not crazy about this. So I didn't feel bad about just going, whoop, throw it over my shoulder and it's actually in a drawer behind me. Um, whereas with Pickles and Taft I'm setting myself up with the explicit intent to ship something. I want to have something that's printable at the end of this journey. Um, so that's where like this this small amount of pre-development goes in. and This is what I'm thinking about with the Baron von mini comic. Is Like this, just doing enough, like drawing four pages worth of moments that could happen in the story doing some sketches of the monster or villain or whatever, and then doing an eight page breakdown of one sentence each, uh, one action each for, uh, all the pages.
0: That's, um, it makes sense. It's like this, um, the wanting to have something shippable. That's, um, I th- I still think there's probably a lot to potentially unpack there, but but it's a nice distinction between something that, that is I mean, it's a the the child with a dream It's a um it's a workout. Um it could have potentially, I would imagine, you know, under you could have discovered something that is an experiment that becomes shareable, but it's uh it it's successful as an effort just by being, you know, a, a practice time. Uh, but then but yeah something shippable and yeah that's uh and it's interesting how you you have uh pared down like a whole life cycle for a project that because like a big project would go through similar stages right
1: sure more intense and and in larger chunks of time sure yeah but each of these like this this sort of like truncated shortened version is something that you can do like like those early pre development sketches that i did in my sketchbook that's something i could do in an afternoon right i could sit down and and take two hours and and sketch out like six things that happen that could happen in the story um and i and i find that what keeps me moving forward is to let go of the fact that maybe none of this will be on there talking about this on a fabulous secrets on my patreon was like i catch myself for once in a while falling into like what if it's what if it's the wrong panel well then draw it again until you find the right panel and it'll be okay right um mm. so letting go of of it and not trying to commit to anything until you um have got some reasonable character sketches and like maybe ten or twenty moments figured out and then try to like organize them into an eight page sequence um I find that's helpful for me anyway
0: mm-hmm yeah it's it's uh that that's um. Somehow you, yeah, you've 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 by embracing the constraint of of short term yet shippable, uh, that that uh, and then then you know you've whittled a process for whittling that is uh, <laughs> robust enough. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. It seems it seems great. Uh, it's it is uh, the process you described is you know pretty pretty close pretty similar to what I did for uh, two pizza team. Like, one thing I can think of that I did, in addition, as far as developing the story, is I did this uh, record-myself sort of campfire storytelling style, Um, just making it up. Uh, Make up a story about these characters and uh, see what comes out of my head. And I did that a couple of times. Um, And then, yeah, and, and I went through some... Probably a little bit longer but but also but but still informal process as far as discovering what do these two even look like and what does their world look like. so I spent more time with um the sketching and whatnot, and I accumulated lots and lots of effort um potential uh conflicts and uh antagonists uh whatnot and then and then just gosh, I went through so many iterations as far as what they might end up looking like. Um, but I, I had, uh, so a similar desire for a shippable product and it, it's an experience like two pizza team, no trash talk is an experiment as a, as a product to see, well, what do people connect with in this, in this whole thing? That, that's, that's that's a good,
1: that's a good framework that you're setting up for us to think about this is yes. Once again, like those early ones, like the chat with the dream fish don't have teeth. Those are workouts. These are experiments where it's like, yes, pickles and tap was meant to be shippable. I still don't know if my hypothesis is true that a cute pig and a battle tortoise who are best friends is a good idea that will connect with people, right? I don't know if that's true until I run the experiment of drawing an eight-page story about it and then sharing it with people, right? So I'm sorry. And so you were doing the same thing with with the two-pizza team
0: experiment. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, and uh, like one one little um, sort of toolkit thing that I thought was a little bit different was that um, like recording myself trying to, you know, tell the story of what this comic is and, or a, just improv a couple of scenes in a uh, just five minutes, 10 minutes capture a little audio snippet.
1: Yeah. Inter- that's an interesting approach to doing it. Like to riff live with yourself that way. Um, Cause I do find that like, you know, they talk about writer's rooms and being around other creative people and doing yes anding with each other, uh, tends to net some pretty interesting results. Um, but a lot of the stuff that we, we wind up, when we do this kind of work, we tend to do a lot of it alone. Um, and so do you share those recordings with anybody or you just like
0: review them yourself? Cause you share the them sketches. Yeah. I mean, pretty similar to, um, like, So I may develop in public with sharing a sketch now and then and see what kind of likes or reactions or comments I get. But then uh, with those little recordings, I haven't shared them publicly yet. I might be might be a fine idea. Well, I don't mean uh, necessarily sharing in public.
1: I mean, like just sharing with people you trust, because I know you shared early drafts of Two Pizza Team with uh, Kate and with the kids and then later on with me to get Mm -hmm. feedback. And I know when I was, the sketches I was showing earlier of the, you know, the story ideas for Pickles and Taft, I, I mentioned that Anne gave me feedback on that rat wizard very early on because I would share those little pieces as I went to say, okay, what are you reacting to here? You know? um,
0: mm. Yeah, and that's a good point. Um, I think I might try that. So, so far I haven't, but I guess, yeah, I might, I might share one of those, uh, one of those ideas, you know, if it's a small snippet, not going to take up too much time of, uh, of, of someone who I would love to get their reactions to, or, or maybe some yes, ands, um, you know, that could be a pretty fun experiment, good exercise. Uh, but so far I I would just get value out of just re-listening to it and reacting to myself and, you know, hearing gaps in logic or, um, just opportunities to it's just well, oh, I meandered a bit there, but this little this little element of um just trying to do a simple task that gets really complicated. I want to I want to use that. Mm. I'm looking up That helped me then outline. Gotcha. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh because actually some some of the folks in the chat, uh, Robert Clemens Jr. again is is chiming in about like sometimes it's just it's just fun to go just start running with an idea and sometimes you put structure in later. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, and, th- and I was I was trying to find um, some some of my that black black hole equation mini comic that I did ages ago, way back in nineteen ninety five. Um, oh goodness gracious, is it right here? Let's see if I can pull it up. Uh now never mind. I'm I'll have to put it in the show notes. Because like the, the the one that I did in an afternoon where I just started running and I just drew for f- I don't know, 4 or 5 hours and then I had a mini comic. <laughs> it started with the premise of I want to draw a spaceship blowing up. <laughs> I mean that's really where that began, right? It's like start mm-hmm. with something that would just be fun for you to draw and try to build structure around a fun idea and just and have fun with it. Yes. Um But other times, some projects you want to, when we say experimental, there's a difference between experimenting and playing sometimes, right? Experimenting is testing a hypothesis. What's your hypothesis? I think a story about two pizzas who are best friends and get into fights with garbage is an interesting and viable idea for building story and potentially other things out of it, right? Okay, well, the experiment is testing that idea by putting it in action so that people can interact with it. And the only way you know that the experiment is actually, um, you know, uh, underway is when people interact with it.
0: Right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's not a full cycle of, uh, of creative effort if, if you're just um, uh, only riffing with yourself. And uh, you get data. I mean, the whole idea of an experiment and the scientific method is getting observable evidence and uh, of some natural phenomenon. So something is exists, and you put it in a in a in a you know you put it out in the world. You see how it goes. How does it perform? So right. same same.
1: So how about we take a break, and after the break we come back and and look at some questions that we ask ourselves to know if we even have a hypothesis right mm. um it's all well and good to have some kind of ideas smattered around and swooshed into a sketchbook but how do you even come up with a hypothesis to build the ideas off of to, to create the experiment did i say did I, did I explain what we're doing next
0: i think I did. <laughs> you did how do we get to that hypothesis how do you and it's like you could have a question or, or a belief that you're like ah this is a testable idea but is it the right one
1: yeah and, and how, how do i even know that it's at the point where i can start testing it right is it even like a fully formed idea mm-hmm. yet so we're going to do that in about a minute and 30 seconds before we get there we have to thank some people who make this show possible and those people happen to be the folks who support us on patreon Yes, Patreon.com slash into art is the website, patreon.com slash lean into art. It should be easy enough to remember if you downloaded the show, right? Lean into art is the name of the show. Patreon is the name of the service. What's the service? it's a way for you to give us a monthly upvote. You can say, like, I believe in Rob, I believe in Jersey, I believe in the stuff they make. I'm gonna chip in a dollar a month to help make the show more sustainable. And we want to thank five people for doing exactly that. First up, merjam merjam thank you so much for believing us. You can find Merjam on Twitter at M Y R J A M V D V where uh, jam is up to some comic stuff on twitter you can check out there uh also Esprit devra you can find Esprit at we are tech on twitter thank you espree also angela mitchell thank you angela you can find angela on twitter at angie makes stuff all of these will be listed in the show notes by the way at patreon.com slash to art so you can connect with these people and follow up with them because if they get enough out of this show that they decided to support it, then you probably have things to talk about with them, too. They probably are doing some interesting things with visual storytelling. Also, Shawnee Redfearn. Thank you, Shawnee. You can find Shawnee on Twitter at Shawnee Redfearn. And finally, Kelly Ishikawa. You can find Kelly on Twitter at Kelly of Ishikawa. You can join them at patreon.com slash lean into art, where you'll find all the shows you make, including the extra leans, the shows we record only for people who support us on Patreon. It's Rob and me riffing live about a variety of topics, and uh, coming to some kind of conclusion in 18 minutes or so. Uh, patreoncom art, thanks to everybody who have been supporting us there. It means a lot.
0: It really means a lot, Thank you.
1: All right, time for some more transition music as we go, 10,000 feet up. Yep. Time to dig deep into the files of TeleTran 3. find out how we know it 's a hypothesis.
0: Uh what <laughs> sorry, the mo- the music. I I'm affected a lot by music, so I'm just like hmm. <laughs> there's a very uh
1: there's a groove, moody, moody groove. Shadowing is in the chat. You know what that's from. You know what that's from. You can tell us all. Um
0: All right. So yeah, how do we know we have a a strong enough hypothesis and, um, and is there, uh, so is there a set of questions that we can go about uh, taking a look at what we've amassed so far, where we, where we can decide if we're ready. Um, There's the title of this, this episode, right? It's a pre-flight checklist for mini comics.
1: yeah. And the, the way I phrased that, I, I phrase that specifically because I was thinking about this in the last week is like, okay, if I am going to go through with this little experiment that I wanted to do in October, uh, how do I know if I'm ready? And I noted that there's certain things I look for in my own project. So this is not so much of a, a checklist that will ensure success with every project. Remember, we called them experiments. Experiments. Also, another reason I like that word is there's no guarantee of success right? Experimentation is its own reward. It, it It's not something where you're, you know, guaranteed results. Um, you're guaranteed knowledge well, and insight.
0: By structuring it well or well enough, um, you're guaranteeing uh, learning is the return on, yep. on your effort yep. versus, um, you know, avalanche of cash. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> so this is, these are some of the things that I think about And I share them only as a way to, you know, invite the inquiry of like, what's your checklist? What are things that you look for to know that your stories are ripe? Uh, So perhaps you can create your own checklist um, or borrow some from mine, borrow some from Rob's. Um, But for me, uh, an important part of it, of any project that I do, is character voice and character interaction. And can I use this? Can I express the story as much as possible through character action and character voice? Right? And so one of the first questions I ask myself is, do these people have something to argue about? Do these people have uh, differences of worldview, outlook, opinion that can express themselves in the plot? In other words, um, if I put these two characters in front of challenge or goal, How will they react to that thing differently? Or if they react to it the same, what's the different inflection on what they want from it? So for instance, example of Boulder and Fleet is a person in trouble down the road. Boulder's going to say, oh, there's somebody that needs my help. Fleet's going to say, oh, there's somebody who probably will hire us to help them, right? Very different points of view, but they're motivated to do the same thing, right? So that's why their partnership works but if you really break it down, their motivation is very d- different. Um, I did a story uh, called Mining for Trouble on bouldernfleet.com a couple years ago, and um, I remember it occurring to me pretty early on in the writing process that the, the mineral gals, the villains of the story, um, I could find fun ways to express their inner lives in dialogue exchanges where you have the the main... Or the the self-appointed leader of the team is this green rock gal named Sapphire and uh, her sort of second in command is this uh, brownish purple rock girl named Rube and Sapphire keeps, she does classic projection technique where if anybody disagrees with her, she says, you're not in it to help the team. You like, you're not committed to this thing. You're not committed to like this, this group effort. We're trying to create glory together and whatever. Um, you're only thinking about yourself, right? When in truth, the reason she's so angry is because she wants this team to be famous so that she can be famous. It's all about her, and all of her motivations come from her. So I tried to seed that in the dialogue as much as possible. So thinking about what do the characters have that they could totally disagree on, and how can that disagreement reveal something about the character's inner motivation? So like, I run this, exper- this, this uh, activity in my classes all the time. It's like trying to give characters something to argue about. And sometimes kids will find things like, well, this guy hates peanut butter, this guy loves peanut butter. I'm like, okay. That's something. Can mm-hmm. that be... And here's the second question. Can that disagreement reveal itself in the plot of your story? Can your character... Can this disagreement these two characters have reveal itself when they're both confronted with some pivotal point in the plot? of the story? Right? Um, so, in, in another way I think about it is, like, can... Are these characters baked to the point where I know how this person would say, let's go over there, as only that character would say it? Right. Um, this is something I, I picked up a lot from Dan Mishkin, from working with him and from reading his comics as a young person, Is that all of his characters, you know what their worldview is while they talk about, you know, making a sandwich. The way they talk about it will reveal something about who they are. Um,
0: that's a really interesting like signature concern as so. And I I assume that that came into your storytelling, like your, your checklist at at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Like there, there. So, so once you become aware of it, and so this is, this probably is something for all of your stories, not just mini comics. I imagine.
1: It's something I try to be very alert to in any project I'm working on. And it's something that when, even when I team up with other people, it's like, I, that conversation will happen while we're working on the story. And even on the the Amazon comic I'm doing with Dan Mishkin right now, it's really fun because we both really, really sweat that stuff. And so when one of us catches the other on it, like we'll be talking through an idea and I'll be like, oh, and they could say this and Dan says, or they could say this. And he's like, changes two words. I'm like, oh, that's so much better. That's so much better because it tells us so much more about that person, you know? Um and like he's he, we, he, we've literally been sitting in the same room together and like he stood up and goes ding 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 and points at me excitedly because we we nailed like just the right and it's something really dumb it's like uh there's a line where a character says you are your mother's daughter and I'm like and we both did it like ding 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 so good <laughs> um but uh yeah it's something that that's one of my personal fascinations with comic storytelling um is that dialogue i used to think uh that dialogue in comics was oh you just read it aloud and if it sounds natural then it's good uh in recent years i've i've come to believe that it's more like poetry and it's more it has a different kind of rhythm to it and it has it has a different function it the words brian fee said this when he did a talk at, at the Ann Arbor district library brian fees who uh did the award-winning book uh, comic mom's cancer uh, he said that like it's kind of like pop music where it's like if you take the, lo- the dialogue and the art apart, just like if you take the, the poetry of pop music and the music of pop music apart, they're both not that great. But when you put them together, they're really good, you know? <laughs> so uh, it's like the dialogue in comics is is kind of like cartoon. Like if you could cartoon words, that's kind of how I, I think about it. Now. just like how a cartoon clarifies and simplifies a form to communicate something about its inner life. The words you choose do the same thing, and I haven't thought about it enough to where I could write a book about it yet. But it's something that I feel in my gut when I'm when I'm writing stories, um, and so that's one of my big checklists, my checkpoints to so look for that.
0: Pretty sure you've thought about it enough, but um, <laughs> pretty sure you're ready for that book. <laughs> that's another conversation. All right. Uh, that's um, yeah. Okay. So character, character. Yeah, I care a lot about character voice too. I kind of have a um um I kind of have an old is it ready checklist that I would use for um uh when I was updating my webcomic Art Geek Zoo regularly and uh it's it's something that I I taught in I also teach in the workshop uh um uh, writing and drawing uh serial comics dot 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 the dramatic reveal. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so uh it, that the the technique is sort of um are these certain four ingredients uh present and uh And I tried to do it every single page, basically, and it was uh am i doing um am I doing right by the character's voice so it's almost like you're getting to know more about those characters? Am I adding just a little sprinkling of of showing something about the world? Just a little bit of extra an element to um to act or react to, and then the uh am i well do I feel something from this am i am i laughing or uh left left with some kind of um concern um it could be i mean it could so i basically am i angry mad or sad or happy right mm-hmm. does this leave me with some some kind of energy and um yeah I think that's that's roughly the the, the that basic list and i, I mean it's 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 a lot to do in in every single page, but I try to at least see that there's a flow to it and it's appearing frequently enough and doing this process of am I presenting because in my early drafter drafting stages of any comic I've mentioned in well i think in the whittling episode how uh, my first drafts of anything are really bad and I just, I just let it come out and then it's bad, but then I work on it and, um, hmm. I, and then I can, I can carve away and, and, um, and even throw it away to then be ready now to finally do the better draft. And I, I see if those things are there and if I'm, um, Invoking uh, one of the things I'm really I, I'm really into is how stories affect me with their dramatic reveals, which is I believe a series of um, a series of questions and answers where I'm participating and guessing what's going on as a reader, and so I try to make sure I'm providing an experience that that allows and encourages that, and it's not just open questions and then create a big confusing pile of ambiguity. Uh, it's important to answer as well. So panel to panel, page to page, um, and maybe story beat to story beat. And right. and I try to think: Am I doing that? And that gives. Um, it feels like some like it feels like a story to me when I do that.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, that, that is that is part of the essence of telling a story is answering questions. Um, but yes, you don't want to leave. You, that that's a tricky balance to, to always strike, too, is I think about, like, the new Voltron show, which I just started watching season seven. Don't spoil it, anybody. I just watched episode one of season seven, and so, you know, seven seasons, and, like, there was this period... I want to say like three seasons ago where it felt like they were setting up more questions than answers and it started to get kind of like a little bit heavy and laden. I'm like, oh, come on, are we good? And the moment they started answering some big questions in the series again, I was like, okay, things are starting to feel like it's got momentum and it's light and it's fun again and it's it's emotionally investing, but I feel like there's there's momentum, right? And I feel like if you don't answer the questions, mm. um, if you don't answer them enough, things start to feel like it's getting too loaded up with like, well, why why am I here? Why? Why should I care about this? Um,
0: and there's a combination of of both, but maybe meeting expectations because you're you're um, in having that playfulness, playful um, that active experience of of consuming a story, and you're creating that experience. For, well, consuming consuming a comic, um, well, is there? Uh, let's see the. are they, are you playing with what they expected and maybe playing against it, but, um, only, only half delivering the, what would, what, what would be expected. So it's, a you give delight and surprise and, um, but, but not noise. So everything being non sequiturs, unless it's, that's the style of the, of the, of the, of what you're creating. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh-
1: Hmm. I think about that, but I think about it more in terms of am I surprising myself? Um, that, that's what I'm trying to find is like if I can if I can surprise myself in the construction or like the assembling of the ideas. Then I feel like okay, well, if it surprises me, it's probably going to surprise somebody else. I hope.
0: Now what about are there new things that you're working on? Like I have a big thing that that I've been carrying with me as a storyteller and I don't I don't make nearly the amount of comics and stuff that you do. Mm-hmm. So i been, I've been carrying this with me for a, a good chunk of time, but I'm trying to get better for for me as um uh, having having reaction moments in in my stories Mm. because Mm -hmm. sometimes it's like well i got my checklist i did i got the world got the characters got the you know the the dramatic reveals open closed questions and and dot dot. no time to breathe right and it's you know not enough punctuating um moments that uh anyway something about my stories i noticed that so now i'm like okay my checklist now has please i need to insert these these breaks and reactions right so that it's so
1: yeah you can feel together and and you're you're, it's it's funny you bring that up when we're talking about eight page mini comics where you really don't have a ton of Page real estate to go into that. So here's a way I think about it, and it's this is going to sound very mechanical and very prescriptive. I don't mean it to be. It's more of a framework of thinking about how to fit all those things in with very limited page space. Okay, because you're trying to tell at least again, this is my personal point of view on this. When I'm doing one of these shippable mini comics, I'm trying to tell a complete story, something with the beginning, middle, and end, in eight pages. That introduces a world that introduces a concept that introduces to char- two or more characters and, and, and introduces them in a way that hopefully gets you to care about them right so that's that's a tall it's, order. A, lot. it's a big checklist so the way i talk about this in my classrooms with my students is i say okay so page one this is your setup this is like you you and, and i think a lot of times i tend to do my page one is a splash. Let me check. Uh, Cat and Cat, former shark hunter here. Nope. Okay. So Captain Cat starts with a three-panel page. But I try to start with like a big image to introduce, here we are in the world with the characters, right? So we got the cats in a mm-hmm. boat at sea. So now we know. Cats in a boat at sea. Once upon a time, there were two cats in a boat at sea. Once upon a time, there was a bear pulling a wagon uh, with a little bird sitting there talking to him.
0: Yeah. That's an establishing shot.
1: Establishing shot. Uh, and in that that establishing shot serves like one primary function. it is going to introduce us to the voices of the of the main characters. They both have to say something that is something as only they can say it, and it should give us a sense of what their situation is instead of so you I don't want my character to say, "Boy, it sure is tough being an adventurer for hire." Where we go around doing adventures for money for people. That's hard. Yes, it is Fleet, my best friend, who I grew up with. I right? prefer
0: money. Oh, I prefer to help people.
1: Right, right. So so instead I say the first line.
0: But that's is, what my dialogue looks like on my first draft. Oh yeah. What you just what you yeah. just said, it's what my dialogue looks like. Yep,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. When I'm doing my sticky note thumbs, like it'll be like that. Like Fleet's talking about that, you know, she wants money. Boulder's talking about how he wants to help people. And okay. so I I write the dialogue. Are you Fleet's talking? Are you hungry? I ask because I'm hungry. Funny thing about hunger, it's easily remedied with a little money. You think you'll actually charge for our next job? That'd be novel. Okay, so now we know that Fleet is not the most tactful best friend. Maybe not the most gentle. Maybe a little uh, uh, aggrieved because her ambition is being thwarted by her best buddy. And what does he have to say about it? There's more to this job than cash, Fleet. Right unfazed, unflappable, even though his best friend's giving him a really hard time from the back of the wagon. He's pulled the darn wagon, right? So we get a sense of what these two characters are about. Okay, so that's what page one's function is. Page two, we should learn a little bit more about the characters. They should have some interactions with one another. And these interactions do not have to move the plot forward. This is just taking a breath to say, here's why these two characters love each other or hate each other or whatever. This is why we should care about these two characters. And then by the end of page two, we set up like a point of curiosity that that drives us toward the the actual uh, problem of the story, the plot of the story. And now we get to their adventure. So bottom of page two, you were already in the adventure, right? Um, hmm. page three, elaboration on the adventure. Oh hi, I'm a cute little bunny, and there's this mean guy in our town. Will you help us? Right? And then page four and five is Like getting you know meeting our 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 antagonist and getting a little bit of elaboration on what they're up to, why they're doing that. Page six is the conflict, right? Where we actually get into the fight scene, and then page seven and seven is like you know sort of hitting the hitting the climax or the resolution, and then page eight is you know winding things down and showing how the situation is different, how the characters are different, or if they changed at all. They don't have to change. It can just be a reset button like the Incredible Hulk TV show or Highway to Heaven. Um, so that's a way I think about it in order to give it that breath. I think of like like the top of page two is where you take that breath before diving in. And then hopefully you can do a callback to that by the end of page eight. So like something I did on page eight was, uh, at the end there's Boulder and fleet watching all the townspeople chase the bad guy out of town. And fleet says, uh, looks like we won't be getting paid for this one either. Oh no. Boulder says, looks like we won't be getting paid for this one either. Fleet and fleet says more to this job than cash. Boulder. Boom. She's come around to his way of thinking a little bit when she sees, you know, the the result of their adventure.
0: <clears> hmm. <throat> so I mean that's 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 a pretty powerful framework for chunking up uh chunking up the jobs of stages of flow for the story that's um yeah it's yeah and it's it's covering a lot of jobs in a a short space
1: yeah and it's going to feel very (laughs) if anybody here's seen the robo force uh cartoon pilot that aired in the 80s um Tronics is in the chat and says, "Like this, this, this sort of style of dialogue and storytelling come from the comics I grew up with or the shows I grew up with. Probably both. Shadowing. I mean, I used to do a show called uh, podcast called Saturday Supercast where I was like, me and cartoonist buddies were like deconstructing cartoon shows, particularly Sunbow shows, um, which was like a real big point of fascination for me. I spent a lot of time looking at what those writers were doing and the way those shows were kind of re- reacting to the three act structure of having two commercial breaks in the middle of a twenty one minute." Adventure and how they had to take like all these various shortcuts and ways to c- clarify information into like really really dense sort of story rich moments, um, but also the comics I grew up on that I really enjoyed did the same thing. But um, but the the Robo Force uh, cartoon which you can find on YouTube is a great example of that where if like, if you're familiar with like Sunbow shows of the eighties, like they were very, very con- condensed Robo force was 21 minutes and it was trying to introduce the whole concept of the, of what was going to be the series in 21 minutes. And it is, it's relentless in its pacing. It just bam, 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 bam. It just like hits all of those, just like I was talking about in the mini comic. So, um, this isn't going to be for everybody. Like if you look at Pranas Nadja, mini comics and I highly recommend you do. I love his mini comics. We'll link to them in the show notes as well. Um, he has a very different pace than what I'm describing here. This is just my way of like sort of trying to hit all those points uh, in,
0: in a very small package. Um, I've seen that. So a lot of times with... Um... With like uh, a creative challenge, twenty-four uh, hour comic day. Um, I've made a couple of mini comics in with with that as a constraint, which is definitely more luxurious than an hour or just you know uh, a, an afternoon or what have you. Um, and it's more pages, which helps. Mm. But it's still pretty constrained in, in as far as time frame and development and all that, especially if you're supposed to go into it uh, totally fresh. Um, that's uh the the. The pacing, like so, a lot of times, someone might take um, the whole idea of what what is a story, how many jobs am I trying to accomplish in these these pages or this you know this volume, and it's it's moments and not much changes. It's someone staring at a clock, feeling dread and a sweat bead uh-huh. for three pages, <laughs> right? and you could have many 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 moments in there you could have different you know furrowed looks thinking realizations even like a mumbling statement here and there and like oh that's a moody thing that's evocative yeah that can do the job too that's a pretty different maybe a pretty different checklist
1: oh absolutely to go back Um, to what uh shadowing Tronics was saying in the chat it's like yeah i'm i'm coming from this coming at this from uh, an approach and, and uh, sort of um, a taste that was developed from a very specific kind of story um, you know I want to do rip-roaring mm-hmm. light-hearted adventures that kids can glom onto and get a quick and satisfying read out of that may not be what you want to do um, right like Rob was describing like if I were to do something that was more autobio, like when I worked at a newspaper when I was 21 mm-hmm. and I really 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 didn't like that job and i would the last 15 minutes before i had to leave to go to work i would literally sit and stare at a clock and watch the minutes count down so i wanted to savor every last minute i didn't have to be there and now that comic is going to have a very different pace than what i was describing for those bolder <laughs> fleet.
0: yeah but it still can have a, quite an impact honestly and Absolutely. it's uh you can and you can have maybe even similar jobs, but the pacing and feeling of it and uh, how that transpires and uh, and what represents um, a character—you're you're, you're doing more abstract storytelling at, at that point. Like a person is facing ideas as the antagonists and whatnot. And their emo- their own emotions mm-hmm. more at more than uh something emotions and ideas and world perspective embodied in in something like well, in another character
1: uh i feel like we're coming up to being almost at the point where we can say we've made a podcast um Mm -hmm. but we gotta do final thought and uh one of the one of the nice things about having a live stream as we record the show is that the leaners can chime in while we're talking about this stuff. And it, I'm going to read Nate Marcel's question and ask you if you think that there might be some meat in there for final thought. Um, Nate showed up and said, where are the best places to share mini comics? I have made some, but unless I had a ton of them, maybe I would feel weird about showing them at a con or something. You guys seem to have a venue just by your podcast, teaching, et cetera, but do they, do they even have to be a hard copy? Is it the same? Uh, well, let me see if I can scroll down. Is it the same for a mini comic on the web, PDF, etc.? Is it wrong to feel like I want to share them? Comics are so much work. I have found that if I don't have a great audience, the payoff is not great to do them. You know, it's weird. I don't think there's anything. Well, maybe we should save for final thought.
0: What do you think? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to jump yeah. in and start answering him. <laughs> and that's, there's some good, there's some good stuff there to explore. All right. As final thought in a minute. Okay. So at least, Nate, you should stick around. (laughs) But um,
1: everybody else, I hope you'll stick around because we're going to thank a few more people who make this show possible. And those people happen to be us. We make comics. We make mini comics. We make graphic novels. We make games. uh, We lead workshops. And we want to take this opportunity to share a few of the things that we make in the hopes that you will interact with them. And the thing that I make, I introduce myself as a cartoonist and teaching artist, which is to say, a person who makes graphic novels and then teaches people how to make graphic novels for a living. I get paid for this stuff. And the thing that I hope you'll check out right now um, is Science Comics Rockets at sciencecomicsrockets.com. What is it? It is a comics documentary about the uh, history and science of rockets as told by the animals who participate in rocket history. Um, it's published by First Second. You can find it in bookstores everywhere. Uh, this Sunday, if you're in the Ann Arbor area, Ann and I are going to be at the Carytown Book Festival where we're going to be doing a panel talking about nonfiction comics and you know why comics are a good medium for nonfiction. Uh, we also just got published to YouTube. You can find it in my um, uh, Twitter feed, uh, a 20-minute talk that Ann and I did at Nerd Night Ann Arbor on how we made science comics rockets. Uh, we did a little bit of cheeky digging at this, this notion of like one of the questions we get is like, how did you survive making a thing together? You're married. You're supposed to hate each other. Okay, well, let, let's 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 answer that question. And we did in that talk, which we will also link to in the show notes.
0: <laughs> sounds like it almost sounds like um like a an alternate universe version of the newlywed game. It's like <laughs> you're the uh, you're the wedded collaborators people game. <laughs> Where's the strangest place you've made comics together? Um,
1: (laughs) But um, if you have purchased it, you know, a really cool thing you do, a thing that'd be helpful is giving it a review wherever like on Goodreads or on Amazon or uh, also, I mean, if you have young people in your life, I mean, it's aimed at middle grade. But, you know, uh, School Library Journal recently gave it a review and said, you know, this thing is a really great read for adults as well. We tried to write it so that it'd be fun for everybody to read, but it is aimed at middle grade students. So, I mean, if you have somebody that age in your life, this would be, you know, holidays are coming, everybody. ScienceComicsRockets.com has links to where you can read an eight-page preview and where to purchase it. Rob, you made a game.
0: Hmm. I did. And I also love that book, Science Comics Rockets. It's so awesome. And uh, I didn't make a game about that, though. Uh, The game I made is called This Panda Needs You. And, well... It's a, it's a, it's a mellow yet fun and mildly challenging game where you are about, you're, 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 stacking blocks to match patterns. You're solving puzzles that are, that are physical, uh, based on shapes that fall down. They're actually just fine. A panda's walking through this bamboo forest and whatnot and, you know, and everything's fine. There's a cool little stack of shapes, but cloud comes along, whoosh, knocks everything down takes off doesn't apologize or nothing but you're left here with this panda to help put things back together the way they should be and it starts off super easy it's meant for it's meant for honestly you know young children but then as we've tested it and and have tabled and convention convention uh been out in the world with it uh we find lots of adults like it too, because it's really, it's mellow. It's a very relaxing game. Uh, There's over 50 levels. It's available for lots of platforms. Your you know, uh, iOS, Android uh, phones and tablets. It's also works. It's also available on desktop as well. And you can get to all those different platforms by going to this dash panda.com. And if you have
1: purchased the game already, a great thing you could do is leave a review wherever you purchase it. Tell a friend, especially if you have any friends with young people in their lives who have iPads or Android tablets, that would be nice. Uh, this-panda.com. dash But let's suppose that you're here because you like the way we think about stuff. You're not so interested in the stuff we make. That's fine. This show is a thing we make and we have more self-contained things like that at leanintoart.com slash workshops where you can download videos, uh, video workshops that we've developed at a price of your choosing, even free. And if you do get some value out of it, uh, a great thing you can do is like purchase it for a friend. That's like giving, it, uh, giving us a tip. You know, if you did download it for free. Uh, if you're watching this video on YouTube right now, giving it a thumbs up helps more people find the show. And if you were listening to it after the fact in a podcatcher like Apple podcasts, leaving a five-star review helps more people find the show as well. And we think everybody who's been doing those things. It means a lot to us.
0: It does. Thank you. All right.
1: Let final thought, final thought time. You want to, you want to kick it off, Rob? Do you have any, any uh, reactions?
0: Yeah. So let's see. So Nate Maricel asked, um, I think the i mean described a few different tensions as far as uh making mini comics I mean the amount of effort versus payoff is certainly one one kind of conundrum I'm hearing and uh but then i'm so the effort versus payoff conundrum I'm hearing and also maybe a uh perception of audience mismatch of sort of maybe i'm I'm at an event and the context of this event isn't as mini comics compatible I might be mis misinterpreting what do you think
1: um maybe i mean i, I guess if, if you if you think about like so I, i've done my share of. oh yeah
0: gosh there's another one too hard copy versus electronic
1: hard co- oh, yeah and hard I, i've got i've got a, i've got a reaction to that one too but um as far as like do you take them to shows now i personally i take all my many comics to shows even like fish don't have teeth which was an exercise it was not something where i was like i mean i was hoping i'd have a shippable thing but it was definitely an experimental experiment with leaning much more towards exercise. Um, I still print it up, and I take it to shows. And I'll tell you why. Uh, if, if there's always a bigger fish, meaning there's always somebody who's done something much more polished and much more professional than you, then that means you're a bigger fish to somebody. And, and also, I don't presume that I am the final word on whether or not anything that I did is good um that's really up to an audience to decide as well um and so and i think we make things because we want to communicate and we want to share most of the time most of the time sometimes we make things just for us but a lot of times i think we want somebody to interact with it and i had this experiment experience recently with my teen students so i was closing on my teen class and the topic of um when i first started working in comics came up and i told them that the very first thing i did was a 22-page uh, comic book that I self-published in 1994, and I said it was it was absolutely terrible. You 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 don't really need to see it, and they're like, well, now we have to see it. And so I, it turns out I had copies left, and so I brought them to give to the students as a thank you for your hard work. And you can see, like, everybody has to start somewhere. Here's my first effort in this, and a couple of kids were like, this is really good. Like, why are you bashing this? Like, this is like really good. And I'm like, oh, that's right. You know, we are so quick to beat ourselves up for our earlier work, but we have no idea. This is why I keep a lot of my stuff in print is because it's like, it's not up to me if it's, if it's, uh, you know,
0: well, the fitness, right? I mean, inherently yeah. it's, uh, yeah. yeah, there, there's a big something missing if, if you're not having it in the world so that others can, can make that choice. Right.
1: So, um. And yes, it might feel weird at some comic shows to take your personal experimental mini-comics. Like, I've been to shows where, you know, Captain and Cat, former Shark Hunter, just doesn't fit in. Like, this does not meet the expectation of the crowd who's arriving there. The people there are looking for glossy superhero comics with Deadpool and Venom on them. And that's, that's fine, it's just it's not the place where this is going to be met with, like, a lot of curiosity. Um however I would say this have you looked into any local art fairs like there's um you know like in Michigan there's the Detroit Urban Craft Fair and there's the Tiny Expo and these are like small one day events where people uh table all sorts of handmade crafts so you got people who are making you know uh sweaters you got people who are making furniture you got people who are making screen prints and when I go to these things, I find that this comic in particular, this this little, you know, silly comic about my cats, uh, flies off the table. I can't I I, I do better in one day at that show than I typically selling mini comics than I do at a traditional comic show selling graphic novels. Um why? Because the audience is totally different. They're there to discover. They're there to say, What's new? What's different? What's novel? What can I find that's interesting? And if you've got something, it's, this is a good way to test it. your hypotheses is that you've got all these different experiments saying, like, I think this is an interesting idea. I think this is an interesting idea. And if you have, like, five or six of them lined up, you get really good data. <laughs> so, like, I find that, interestingly enough, I was using Pickles and Taft as an ex- as example this time, I find that Pickles and Taft does not perform as well as and Cat, former Shark Hunter, at those craft fairs. Um, hmm. So I, I don't have any information as to why I just have the information on what sold and what people react to when they come to the table. But so that's, that's one thing. Um, And the other thing that I would say about whether or not to keep the digital or in print, I, I say both. And as a matter of fact, I've got up on the screen, my Amazon page, my Amazon author page, and I've got my mini comics on there for sale, right? You can get them, you can get them at a price you're choosing on Gumroad, But if you're like really into Amazon and the Kindle, Boulder and Fleet's there, Cat and Cats there, Pickles and Taft is there, right? Uh, the Front Rebirth is there, which was published in two thousand six. Um, wow, is PPV on there too? I'll be darned! You can actually get copies of my two thousand two miniseries PPV. Um, oh, cool! So, uh, I, I, my attitude is like put it wherever people can find it. Um, my mini comics have become part of my web comics feed uh you know they they're they're a thank you that i give people when they sign up for my patreon um i don't think there's anything sometimes a business card too which i took that idea from you absolutely this this is oh i I, I, i'll try not to be so angry about it because i get really frustrated when i go to a convention and i come back with these business cards that have really cool art on them and a person's name but i really don't know anything else about it and and if you meet thirty people at a convention, it's going to be really unless you're really really good at doing that Andrew Carnegie you know how to win friends and influence people thing. You're not going to connect each name to each face. So one thing that I think about is I, I carry so here's my Pickles and Taff mini. That is the fancy screen printed version on um. Oh, what kind of paper is this? Um, cardstock. It's it's yeah, but it's it's an acid free cardstock that I got from French French's paper in Michigan. Oh. Um. So it's it's not it's not cheap. You know, it, it, like these these mini comics cost me like a buck fifty a unit to make. Um, they're not they're not cheap. But then I also do just cheapo Kinkos editions. I'll hold them up side by side so you can see. Like so, two this, editions. Yeah. So I have I have a cheapo version that I do at Kinkos where this like only cost me like seventy cents or something to produce each unit. And this is what I carry. I carry a number of them in my bag as a business card. Why? Because this tells you everything you need to know about me as a cartoonist. It tells you what kinds of stories I like to do, what my capability is as a cartoonist, and hopefully it gives you uh, an entertaining and memorable experience with my name. So even if you don't remember what I look like or what conversation we have, you have this artifact. And it's like it's a cheap little thing that's easily stuffable in a bag. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of reasons to do mini-comics and a lot of reasons to print them and a lot of reasons to share them. Uh, is everybody going to love what you do? Heck no. Um, you know? Uh, yes, lots of people pick up Cat and Cat for a shark hunter, but then I also have people who go like this. Hmm, no. <laughs> and then walk away,
0: right? Um, but but they, even that is data. Someone was walking by your table, the cover caught their attention, and it was enticing enough for them to pick it up. That is very interesting data. But yet they didn't, you know, they walked away. So but is there is is there a mismatch of promise as far as, you know, cover says this, people think something, they see something else.
1: Right. Right. That yeah. thank you for framing that reaction to it. Because yes, one could easily get bound up in this whole, but I'm putting my, my soul out there. Well, if you frame it as an experiment, then you're kind of reframing what your proper reaction to the information you get on it, right? So when people say no, like okay, good to know, something happened there. And if I have the the chutzpah, maybe I'll ask them what happened there. Um, yeah, Musa girl saying mm-hmm. they must not have seen the center spread. Yeah, like cat and cat. I remember Ryan Estrada. There we go. We made our Ryan Estrada reference for this episode. Hey. He he took some. He was very gracious and took a number of these to Korea to some comic shows there, and gave me some information on how people interacted with it. And he said when he opened it up to the center spread on the table, a lot of people stopped, because that center spread is a shark jumping over a boat, with all of our principal <laughs> characters looking up at it and you know expressing surprise and shock and awe and everything. Uh, he said, "Like, yeah, that cover is nice and everything, but this is what that center spread is. What tells you what is in the story? And as a matter of fact, after he told me that, I do display the books that way. I have it like this. Oh, and that's right great! I have it open to the center spreads. So hopefully, that'll
0: catch somebody's eye. Um, yeah, the, the, it is such a different tone. The cover is is like, hmm, quite masterpiece yeah. theater. I hear the uh, <laughs> yeah, three a little quartet in the corner going, and uh, but then there's a." You open up the middle and, and now it's, it's Ozzy's boneyard
1: is suddenly playing. Yes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> right. That'll that'll wake you up. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, what what's the worst that happens if you put it out digitally is that people don't download it. Well, you know, I, I don't think many people are interacting with my mini comics on Amazon, but they're there. Yeah. They're there. People want them. I'm gumroad if people want them. It's
0: like, I just mm-hmm. like
1: leave them wherever people can find them. Um,
0: and once um, they exist, they can be used through multiple, like you can think of it, like we use the word experiment or experiments. It can be um, uh, a series of research protocols where there are many experiments with that one device that uh, you can deploy over and over and over because you have it. Yeah. So that's a way to deal with like the third part of the question was the effort versus payoff. And I think that's just a matter of like finding the right fit of your um, how much should you put into this project um, for the kind of outcome that you're that you're seeking. And even then trying to shape it toward a small product bias because you're, you're doing a mini comic. So if you're spending, you know, 40 hours on one page, it's probably not the um, you're probably, you know, creating a certain risk of, of ever getting the value that you want to get out of this. Right, so
1: right. I, I have, I have made, constraints. Yeah, I have not made thousands of dollars off my mini comics. I'd have to go and do like a really deep dive into like my tracking that I've done over the years, but I don't think it would amount to thousands of dollars yet. Right? It's, it's chump change, but it's enough to justify an afternoon of being at a, a small craft show. Um, but another thing I would say, but to the that, learning,
0: the learning. again, the learning. This, the yes. money is observational evidence. The money is another stage of interaction where someone, yes. they, they, they stopped, they noticed, they picked it up, they looked at it, and then engaged in trade and said, well, I want to hand you this currency, so I may walk away with this. And that is data. And that is when I feel
1: brave enough or invited to ask why. What was it that, that grabbed you about this? What was the moment, right? Oh, well, my cousin has cats, and I know that they'll love this. Or, oh, I just, the, the idea of like cats fighting sharks is so funny to me, right? Or, yeah. oh, look at how grumpy this cat is. Isn't that adorable, right? Like, what are they saying about it that I can grab and use that as information to help me navigate future projects? One more thing about this whole idea of investing the time into making these things. Now, we've been talking a lot about like doing them as like warm ups, experiments, uh, exercise. I would recommend if you, that, Everybody who is listening to this, if you haven't done this before, Google the Jake Parker eight minute warm up, um, or the eight minute drawing challenge, or the eight minute warm up. I've been using this in my classroom for some time now, what it is is you do you divide a sheet of paper into six squares, and you draw the same thing in each square with as much detail as possible. So, you, like you take a picture of it, like take an image of a thing, and you try to draw that thing. Exactly the same way in all six, but the first square, you have four minutes. The second square, you have two minutes. The third square, you have one minute. The fourth square, you have 30 seconds. Then 15 seconds, then five seconds. Now, what's the point of this? Well, one, it, it, it's sort of like a, a warm-up to get your hand moving, get your arm moving, to get, get started in your art day. But it also instructs you in, what is the essence of the thing that you're cartooning here? Because it's going to get simplified. And the other thing you notice is, it, my, I noticed this with my students, is they discover that I thought that my four-minute one would be my best one. But for some reason, my two-minute one was my best one. Sometimes we, th- we trick ourselves into thinking that we need more time to draw something that we don't need. And we give ourselves less time. And when we rush to meet that challenge, we unlock some kind of fluidity and some kind of fluency in our work that, that we were stying by hesitating and shaking and worrying about making it perfect at the outset. And when you just dive in and do it, and push yourself. Sometimes you can get better stuff by drawing faster. So I would recommend that you try that too to see what kind of results you get and what it could tell you about what your uh, optimum drawing speed is. They the Jake Parker eight minute warm up. It's on YouTube.
0: That's really good. Um, and is that where you picked this? Picked up that warm up, Jake Parker?
1: Yeah, I, I know it came from oh, someplace great. else. Uh, I, I think he he derived it from someplace else, but like he he popularized it uh, very recently, and that's where I came across it.
0: Super cool, All right? Yeah, it it might, it's a great technique. It
1: might have been in Ivan Brunetti's book too. I'm not sure. Now I'd have to go back and look, but that's the easiest place to find it. Um, so I
0: I hmm. think at this point I can
1: safely say we've done a podcast.
0: I podcast has. Has happened that was, that's a stamp that we should have on digitally on the screen podcast happened yeah that's we gotta start working on lean into
1: art 3.0 where we start doing some stuff like that
0: podcast
1: happened right on the screen um all right well thanks everybody who hanging out in the chat and uh giving us such great food for thought uh it's mm-hmm. been Thank it's you. been awesome in the last couple episodes with more people showing up to uh interact with us and give us different prompts to work off of because so that we know that we're making something that's actually useful to you guys. Uh, thank you, Rob, for navigating this topic with me once again. Thank you, Jersey. It's been and great. we record this this show every Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 p.m. Central. We stream it live on YouTube at leanintoart.com slash live. And we collect it later as a podcast at patreon.com slash art. And we will be back next week with another
0: episode. Until then... I have been
1: Jersey Drozd of leanintoart.com and Jersey Drozd on
0: Instagram. And I've been Rob Stenzinger of leanintoart.com and Rob Stenzinger on Instagram. Okay, bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at leanintoart.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the user leanintoart and you can reach us via email at leanintoart.com at gmail.com And remember, leaners aren't wieners. Thanks for listening.